Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I would say that even in the world and all around us, people want power. I know I want power. Seriously, I would love to just say to my kids, don't do that. And they'd say, thank you, Mom. Wow. You spoke to me. I believe it. Oh, I would love that. I mean, I have to call them. They, they rarely call. I'm always calling, like, and, and you know, most of the time they don't answer. It goes to voicemail. Hi, remember me? I birthed you. <laughs> I, I, want, I want power, but a lot of people want power, but they're seeking it the wrong way. They're seeking it through maybe money or uh, possessions or their... They're seeking it through being angry or through, you know, just, you know, forcing people to do things. Other people seek it for the wrong reason. Even though they might pray and ask for power, they really want power so they can be something special, so they can um, enhance their own lives. James 4.3 sums it up when he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, people ask for power, but they, they equate power with, you know, a better life, a more comfortable life. It's not, it's not, that's not the purpose of power. We all want power in our words. We want power in our prayers. There's something about a powerful prayer, isn't it? When you can hear the power in the prayer and you just know it avails, we all want those healing prayers, those prayers that go right up to the throne of God and come back as earthquakes and lightning bolts and thunderings. We all want power in our prayers. We want power in our lives. I want power to run and not be weary. You know, I'd like to look at my week and not go, (laughs) you know, I want to look at my week and go, Easy peasy. You know, I can do this. Not I, I, but Christ in me. I want to run and not be weary. I want to walk and not faint. I don't want to lose heart. I want to be able to truly, truly expend myself and minister to others. For believers, for all of us, power is not just a desire. Sometimes we think, oh, that the desire for power is wrong. It's not. We should all be desiring power. It goes wrong when we seek it the wrong way or we seek it for the wrong reasons because power is a need. Remember the disciples that had been with Jesus for three years? And we read in Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world Preach the gospel, discipling them in my name and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you always. But he also says this in Luke chapter 24, but don't go yet. Go, but not yet. Wait until what? You receive power, the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? Power. Power through what venue? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you need this power to be witnesses. Even though they had spent three years with Jesus, 
even though they had seen the resurrected Jesus, they still needed a divine source of power. Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The Spirit brings power. The Spirit is the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. He didn't promise us this in vain. He promised this because he knows we need it. This is his gift to us. Elisha is no exception in the desire for power. He's the one who asked Elijah for a double portion. This is what he was asking for. I want the same power on your life in my life. I want that anointing of power. And we see that Elijah exercised power in word. He, he announced there will be no rain except at my word. And what happened? There was no rain for three and a half years. We see power in prayer when he was praying for the widow's son and the widow's son came back to life. We see him praying um, that fire would come down from heaven. One simple prayer and power, the Fire came down from heaven, devoured the sacrifice, the stones, even licked up the dust around where the altar had been. And then we see him with the fire, calling down fire upon the men who came to arrest him, companies of 50. We see power. We see power in his life. The power to go on a long journey by foot, climbing a high mountain, when he was going on one meal given to him by angels, a culinary angel though, Elisha knew the calling of God, just the calling of God, the mantle being thrown at him was not enough. Now, even though his calling into ministry had been extraordinary, he had been in the field with his father's uh, 12th team of oxen. So his father had at least 12 teams of oxen, two oxen to a yoke, and he's with the 12th team. That, that could mean there could have been a 13th, a 14th, a 15th, and a 16th team. He just happened to be with the 12th team. He's from a very, very wealthy family. He's not one of the sons of the prophets. He's, he's kind of the unexpected choice. And there he is, and he is driving. He's working. He's working hard. Plowing a field is hard work. But he's willing to be like one of his father's servants. You know, there's someone on team one, someone on team two, someone on team three. He's not even on the most important team. He's on the 12th team. When all of a sudden, Elijah, the prophet, just walks by and throws his mantle on him. Can you imagine? Just, you know, plow knocks off and mantle in the face. And he gets so excited. He takes the mantle and he says, oh, let me kiss my parents. Let me throw a huge barbecue. And I'm all in. And he takes those two oxen and he has a barbecue using the wood from the plow. He's not going back. He's not going back. And it says that he fed all the people. That's, that's a huge celebration of being called into the ministry. And from that moment on, this man from a wealthy, wealthy family, hearing the call of God, this man from a wealthy, wealthy family becomes a slave, a servant to Elijah. He's going to serve the rejected prophet of Israel. 
He's going to go wherever he goes. He's going to wash his feet. He's going to give him water. He's going to make sure he has meals. He's going to take care of the prophet and accompany the prophet. Turning the page, I have much to say. But Elisha knew that simply companioning and following Elijah was not enough training, not enough to take up the mantle. He would need power. I'm reminded of a story that is told twice in the Old Testament. And I think it's very important that this story is told twice. It's told in Joshua chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, and again in Judges chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And this story has to do with Caleb. Remember, Caleb was the spy that went into the land who said, oh, he's kind of like my dad. God's going to give us the land. You know, just didn't see the giants. Ah, giants are nothing to God. Just all ready to take the land. And when he was 80 years old and they entered into the promised land, he went to Joshua and he said, please, let me have Hebron where the giants were. Because with God, they're nothing. And if God is with me, we'll defeat it. And sure enough, he went into Hebron and he took it. He took it and he, he actually named it Hebron. It was named after um, the giants before. And he changed the name to Hebron. And he said, whoever takes um, this field, I will give my daughter Aksa to. And so his nephew, Othniel, he came, he fought, he took the field, and then he gave Aksa, his daughter, what a beautiful name, Aksa. He gave, it's not, he gave his daughter Aksa. <laughs> I didn't name my kids Aksa. He gave Aksa a field. But Aksa, having received the field, she went to her father, and he, she said, Father, the field is not enough. Give me a spring. Give me a spring. And he loved that she asked for a spring, and guess what he gave her? The double portion. He gave her two springs. He gave her the upper spring and the lower spring. You know, this life that we even have is too much for us. We need the springs. It's not enough to have the field. The field has the promise of fruit, but what is a field without water? What is the field without a spring? What is the mantle of Elijah without the power of the Spirit? It's, it's, it's going to be frustration. It's going to be um, rejection. It's going to be difficulty. He needed the Spirit. What did Elijah need to receive power? Firstly, he needed to recognize his need of power. He needed to recognize his need that the field was not enough. The mantle was not enough. The calling was not enough. He needed to recognize that he needed power. Secondly, he needed to ask. He needed to ask God for power. Not only recognize his need, but to say, I need power power. I, I can't do this. I need power. So when Elijah asked him if there were any last requests, he asked for a double portion. He asked for the same anointing. I want the same spirit, the same spirit of God that's on your life. I want that spirit on my life. Secondly, or thirdly, sorry, he needed open eyes. He needed the eyes of faith. 
he, Elijah said, if you see me go into heaven and how my transport happens, then you've got this. He needed the eyes of faith. He needed to believe in his God and that his God could do anything. I don't know how many of you know this, but Char's youngest daughter, Pastor Char, my son Char, so my granddaughter Evelyn, had to have surgery when she was only uh, three days old, open heart surgery, because she had what was called transference of the uh, greater arteries. They were on the wrong uh, ventricles, the, the uh, arteries. And she had to have open heart surgery where they would take those arteries and attach them to the right ventricles. And she had to go by ambulance. And it was, it was pretty traumatic. She came through. I mean, there's so many God stories in that whole time. But I'll never forget, on her third birthday, Grace, my daughter-in-law, is filming her from behind. And she's wearing, I think, a um, bell dress, the gold one. And she's got her from behind, and Evelyn's going, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. Not knowing it was the anniversary of her open heart surgery. Faith knows that my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. For you, you need the eyes of faith. You need to believe in your God. Elisha needed the eyes of faith. Faith has a different way of seeing. It does not see death. It sees chariots of fire taking the beloved to heaven. Faith sees what is invisible to most people. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 11. That faith is seeing what is not seen, what cannot be visible to regular eyes. Faith is what you would call a sixth sense. Actually, I'd call it a seventh sense because it's the complete sense. It's what makes all your other senses actually work. It is to see things through a God perspective through a God who loves the world so much he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but receive eternal life. That's a God perspective. Faith has a God perspective. It's the lens through which every circumstance and every trial is processed. Not what can I do about this, but what can God do about this? It's about bringing all of this to God. We have a, a situation right now, and I just keep saying, Lord, this is too much for me. I can't even do anything. But here, I'm giving it to you because you can do everything. Lord, what are you going to do with this situation for good? Because all your work is good. So what are you going to do about this situation? Because you will do something. All his work is good. It's a different way of seeing. It's a lens Fourthly, Elisha needed to pick up the mantle of Elijah. For power, he needed to recognize his need. He needed to ask. He needed the eyes of faith to believe in his God. Fourthly, he needed to pick up the mantle of Elijah. I mean, seriously, the mantle falls after Elijah goes up in a chariot of fire, and Elisha could have said, oh, wow, the mantle. There it is. 
Well, hmm, you know, maybe I'll find someone who can wear this. He had to pick it up. He had to pick it up. He had to be willing to pick it up and say, all right, I will take this mantle and everything that comes with this mantle. I will take the rejection. You know, Jesus said it best when he said, he who follows me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When Elisha was picking up Elijah's mantle, he was saying, I will take the whole bundle, whatever comes with this. He had to pick it up. Fifthly, he had to use that mantle. He had to use that mantle. It was not just enough to have Elijah's mantle in possession. He needed to use it just as Elijah had used it. He needed to use it in the same way. So in 2 Kings 2.14, we read that he comes back to the Jordan River and he takes that mantle and he holds it over the Jordan River and says, where is the God of Elijah? And you know what? God said, I'm right here, imparted it. I'm right here. I'm right with you. I'm right with you. That's what God is saying. I'm right with you. I'm here. Elijah needed to exercise this divine power. He needed to use it, to utilize it. But he needed to utilize it properly in the way that God intended, not for self-enrichment, not for self-justification, not for self-aggrandizing, not, you know, for security. I am a prophet. I am a prophet. I've got power. I am a prophet. I am a prophet. No. He needed to use it in the way that God wanted him to use it. So firstly, we see that he needed to exercise it with patience, with patience. Second Kings 2, 15 through 17, when the 50 prophets of God, here's, here's his people, right? Here's the people that should be the most supportive. They're like, where's Elijah? You know, you're coming back. You've got his mantle. Where's Elijah? What did you do with him? You know, he's like, he went up in a chariot of fire. Uh, huh. Do you mind if we check the mountains? I mean, maybe he did go up with a chariot of fire, but how do we know God didn't drop him off in one of these other mountains? How do we know that wasn't a temporary transport? Can we check? And Elijah said, no. Elisha said, no. No, don't do that. It's a waste of time. I'm telling you, he went to heaven in a chariot of fire. He's not on the earth anymore. Don't search for his grave. Don't look for his tombstone. He's not there. But these prophets kept saying, please, let us look, let us look, let us look. They wouldn't receive the word of Elisha. It wasn't good enough for them. They didn't believe him. Do you realize that? They did not believe him. And they urged him, and it says, until he was ashamed, until he was embarrassed, until he's like, forget it. This isn't going to work. Just telling him it's not going to work. My word does not have authority yet. So he said to them, go. And they searched high and low, and then they come back, and they're like, hey, we didn't find the body of Elijah. And he's like, I told you, it's not there. But he exercised it with patience. He exercised divine power for the welfare of others. We see this in 2 Kings 19 through 22. When he comes into this city, uh, a city near Jericho, 
He's told that the water in this certain city is lethal. It's caused barrenness and death. Now, that is lethal water. That's, that's bad water. We used to say in Vista, like if you drink out of the drinking fountain, um, you would get pregnant because we had all these barren women who came to our church who all got pregnant. And we're like, it's the water. It's the water. In fact, I wasn't going to have any more. And I had Kelsey and Braden after that. So I'm telling you, it's the water. But he calls for a new bowl and salt. And he puts the salt in the new bowl. And then he says, take me to the source of the spring. They take him to the source, and he puts the, wa- he puts the salt in, and he announces, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. God is healing the water. God's power is just flowing through me. I'm nothing but the agency, but I'm the agency of healing. I'm the agency to bring forth fruitfulness. I'm the agency of purity and bringing life where there once was death and barrenness. He did not exercise God's power to avenge himself. 2 Kings 2, 23 through 24, he's on his way to Carmel. And what do we know? Carmel is a place of prayer. So he's on his way to prayer. And these gang of youths come from the idolatrous center of Israel, which is Bethel. It's where the calf is that the idolaters worshipped. And these are youths. Um, In the King James, it calls them children. But in the Hebrew, it describes youth. In fact, it uses the term worthless youth. In other words, they were youth that um, were idle. They didn't have anything else to do. So they formed a gang together, and there's 42 of these young men. That can be dangerous. Um, I don't know of you, but whoever uh, read The Lord of the Flies, anyone read The Lord of the Flies? Okay, I had to read it twice. Don't ask me why. Uh, for, I read it in college and in high school. But Lord of the Flies has to do with this gang of boys that's left on this island that Um, left to themselves without guidance, without their parents. Uh, They they do bad things. They eat each other. Really bad stuff. But you just see that, and what he was showing, the author, was how evil is intrinsically in the heart of men. And I like that for that part. showed sin. Terrible book. But I like that it showed sin. But these are not, not nice youth. And sometimes youth will egg people on. You know, egg will, uh, eggs will egg each other on. And it's no yolk. <laughs> Sorry. But I blew it, and so I had to recover. Youths will egg other youths on. Have you seen that? They'll kind of like start this pride will get up, and then they have to prove themselves. So they're going to do something that's dangerous. You know, kids and people will do things in a crowd that they would never do individually, that they would never do outside of the crowd. They never would have done that. But in that gang, they would, they would do something dangerous. So they're egging on each other. And they say to him, and I'm, this, is, this is what they're actually saying, get out of here, you bald man. Get lost. We don't 
want you. And they're threatening him. And what I like is Elisha does not try to fight them. He doesn't take them on. He, he really looks at him and says, you know what? The Lord deal with you. You know, may the Lord deal with you. He curses them in the name of the Lord. He says, I'm leaving you to God. Like, and I love this. Get this. Two mama bears come out and deal with the youth. Don't you love that? Aren't you a mama bear? Two mama bears come and deal with the youth. Years ago, we were up at Twin Peaks. We were having a family camp. And we were, um, you know, we were families. You know, we have all our kids. We're at a very vulnerable place. And all of a sudden, this gang comes up from San Bernardino, Riverside County, and starts coming and circling and yelling and uh, threatening everybody. And they're just driving around the conference center over and over again. And, you know, so then the men are like, you know, we got to go deal with them. And it's Brian and it's these others. And, you know, we're the women. So we start praying and we, we all go up to the upper level where the um, snack shop is. And we get to pray and we're seeking the Lord. And the men are getting ready to deal with these youths. Well, here's the story. They get down there. The youths apologize and drive off. What happened? Let me tell you. One of the girls who was at the family camp had broken up with this gang leader. So he got all his friends together and they were going to come and they were going to destroy the camp. They were going to destroy all of us because the pride was getting involved. When the mother of the girl found out, called the boy's mother, she called her son and she said, you get out of there and you leave these Christians alone right now. And man, they apologized and hightailed it out of there. There is nothing like a mother bear. <laughs> God knew how to deal with these youths. You know, they, and what did they get? They got mauled. They got spanked. They needed a spanking. Uh, teenagers, a lot of them need a spanking. But they're too old and too big. A mother bear. So he used the power properly. He used it in the way God intended. Do you desire more spiritual power in your life? I hope you do, because that's a good desire. That's a great desire. In fact, God wants you to desire that. That's God's will for you. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to want his power, not your own power, but his power. And we can learn from Elisha's example to be ready to respond when the opportunity arises, when you hear the Lord or you get the mantle in the face, that you're ready to respond. And then to know the story of the mantle. I love that Elisha knew the story of Elijah and the reputation of Elijah. This is one of the reasons I love testimonies. And the Jesus Revolution was filled with testimonies. People used to get up like every service. My dad would say, hey, I see, you know, Julie over here. Julie, why don't you come up and tell them how you got saved? And she'd be like, I was a prostitute and a heroin addict, and then Jesus saved me. And we're like, I want to be a prostitute and a heroin addict. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the reason. But it was just so marvelous because of the instant transformation of from darkness to light. In fact, I was talking to a young girl, and uh, we were talking because we're still walking with Jesus, and we were saying, you know, what happened to some of our friends? And she said they wanted a testimony. 
And I said, didn't we all? She said, oh, I wanted a testimony so badly, but I just never wanted to leave Jesus to get one. I'm like, me either. I was a scaredy cat. But we were so excited about the testimonies. When somebody got up and talked about the transforming power of Jesus, you know what everyone did? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. This was our way of saying glory because we were in the presence of Chuck and you couldn't be too Pentecostal. So we're like, it was like, this is only God could do this. We would hear this story and we'd be like, only God, only God. Know the mantle. Know the story of those who have had God's power on their lives. This is what the Bible is full of, the stories of those who were endued with the power of God on their lives. This is why I love testimonies, as I said. I love missionary biographies. I love biographies of believers who, by the power of God, do extraordinary things. There's a book called um, Ordinary Women, Extraordinary God. I love it because that really is it. Ordinary Women, Extraordinary God. I think it's out of print, but go ahead, try it. Ask for the double portion. Ask for the inheritance that is yours as a child of God. You're God's daughter. Ask for it. He wants to give it to you. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, get this, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask. Ask. He wants to give it to you. View your life and your circumstances through the eyes of faith. Begin to see God and factor God into everything. You know, I'm reading personally in my devotions about the life of David. And what I'm loving about David's first part of his life is how he asks God about everything. Should I fight these people? Should I go to this place? Should I not go to this place? That's faith. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use these circumstances? The eyes of faith knows that the Lord lives. The Lord is at work always. The Lord is at work always. In fact, let's say it together. The Lord is at work always. Say that to yourself. Preach it. The Lord is sovereign and always does what is best. And my favorite, God has a plan. He always has a plan. Then pick up the mantle. Receive the Spirit. Use the Spirit. Ask God to do in your life what he has done in the life of others. I often pray, Father, you helped my mom and dad. You gave them wisdom. You know, one of my areas of faith is that God grew this church, not Chuck and Kay. God did it, and they had the faith to let God work. When we went to Vista, we started with about 20 people, and half of them were mad at Brian for taking the church. And we left a church of over 3,000 people. We got voted best church in Vista three years in a row. And we left Vista to go to England because we believe God wanted to do a great work in England. And we started this little church with eight people in the center of London on Palace Street in a boys' school, literally steps from Buckingham Palace. If Elizabeth ever decided to look out her window, I could wave. She wouldn't see me, but I could. And when we left that church, we had 350 people, and we had started three other churches in London. Brian and I were under the firm, found, firm conviction, it's not us. It's not us. We're nothing. But we know a God who can do anything. 
We know a God who is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing he cannot do for you. And we knew that God wanted to do a work, and he was inviting us into this work here. We're here because God wants to do work. He's not done. And we know the God who does great works. We're not worried. God's got to do it. Whatever he's doing now, the pruning, we're not worried because he's doing something. He's always working, and he has a plan. He always has a plan. So I say, you're the God of my father. You're the God of my mother, literally. I've seen you give wisdom. I have this friend that's always being blessed, Nancy Sylvester. God is always doing these extraordinary things for Nancy. So I was like, Lord, you did this for Nancy, you know, and she didn't get a ticket. So will you do it for me? (laughs) True story. But I got a ticket, just saying. Use the power that God has given you. You already have power. You need to start using it. Use that power patiently. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Use it for the sake of others, for the welfare, for the sake of life and fruit in the lives of others. And then use it to give your enemies to God. Don't deal with your enemies. Don't take them on. Don't write an article on Facebook about your enemies. Don't tell everybody who they are, what their names were, their addresses. Give them to God to deal with. We all need power. It's not enough to be called. It's not enough to simply be saved. But we need to be witnesses to this generation as Elisha became a witness to Israel. And in order to be a witness, Jesus said, you need the promise of the Father, which is the person of the Holy Spirit. You need that power. Let's pray. Father, we recognize right now that we need power. We're a group of women, and we need power. But, Father, the power is not in us. It's not even in us all gathering together or in any of um, the mechanisms or devices of this world. Lord, true power, good power, uncorruptible power, incorruptible power comes from you and you alone. So, Father, we pray for the promise of the Father, for that double portion to come upon each of us, that we might be administers, Lord, of patience, the fruit of the Spirit, of life, and that we might not seek to avenge ourselves, but leave our enemies to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.